All right, I'll admit it. I'm not the biggest Green Day fan in the world. In fact, some people say I really do not like them. And those some people would be people that I talk to because I am vocal in my dislike of Green Day. And through this episode, I hope to find out is it a rational disliking or is it an irrational disliking? And it kind of stems back to when I was just a, you know, a little boy in my first year of high school and a girl came up to me and said, my friend likes you. Will you be her boyfriend? And I was like, well, if someone likes me, I think it is my civic duty to date them. Sure, 12 minutes ago, I didn't even know she existed. But to hear she has feelings for me, you know what? 100%, I have feelings for her. Uh, They are intense and they are passionate and they are forever. Her friend organizes us to kiss on the school oval after school. It went pretty fast and we kissed. And she was really tall, and someone actually yelled out while we were kissing, it looks like he's drinking her. Uh, She laughed, she moved back, a bit of spit hung from our mouth. It was romantic. So romantic, in fact, that she and her friend came to my house the next weekend. And there was a knock on the door, and it was my new girlfriend and her best friend. So my new best friend. Oh, geez, couldn't... It was so good. They said, come outside and sit in the gutter with us. I said, don't have to ask me twice. We went and sat in the gutter, and my new girlfriend said, look... I'm taking this relationship really seriously. So seriously that I've devised a test to see if you're the one. And I was like, you know what? I haven't studied, but I'm, I'm, I'm up for this. Let's do it. So she had three CDs. One was Shania Twain's uh, From This Moment. The other one was Oasis's What's the Story Morning Glory. And the third one was Green Day's Kaplunk. And she said, I've bought these CDs And I want you to listen to Shania Twain's From This Moment because I think it sums up our relationship beautifully. So what I want you to do is I want you to go go inside, listen to it, then come out and tell my friend what it means to you. I've already told her what it means to me and she will tell me if our answers match. If our answers do match, then we are soulmates and we are going to be forever and we are going to be together forever and you can have the CDs. And I said, oh, cool. All right, let's do this. So I went inside and I put on Shania Twain's From This Moment. And I think I took the lyrics too literally, if I'm honest, because I came out and I told her best friend with, with, you know, unwarranted confidence, like the story of my life, just total blind confidence. I said, yeah, it's about like, you know, being blessed and living for only happiness and, and being willing to give your last breath for someone, you know, especially someone in the first year of high school. You really want to make a commitment really early on. And she said, look, that's not what my best friend has told me your answers do not sync up you are not compatible and i was dumped uh but to show it wasn't all mean-spirited she said hey you can keep those cds i bought them for you they're yours keep them so i kept them and i went into my room and i was really upset and i was like oh you know what and i just you know had shania twain from this moment on repeat and i was getting upset and i said you know what i gotta get out of this funk so i put on oasis you know what's the story morning glory that was great. And I said, what's this Green Day? Like, what is this? Put on Kaplunk and went, this is dumb. I'm, I'm not finding any solace in this album. So, look, I'm not super proud of it. But I was hurt and I didn't know how to express my emotions at that time. I didn't know how to channel it into, you know, groundbreaking art. So I scratched up that CD with a drawing pin. And I kept Shania Twain and Oasis to the side. And I took a drawing pin and I just scratched up Green Day's Kaplunk. And, you know, I felt better. And the next day I went to school and she approached me. And I was like, could this be? Is this a second chance? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to, this is, this is great. I can change, baby. 
And she said, I lied to you. And I was like, oh, no. And she goes, I didn't buy those CDs. They're from my dad's collection and I stole them. You need to give them back. And he went looking for them. He went looking for Green Day and he couldn't find them. So you need to bring them back to school tomorrow. And I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? So I told my friends, I said, I've scratched up this CD. I don't know. I've got to return it somehow. And someone told me if you put a bunch of toothpaste on the back of a CD, it would fix it. Now, this thing had been scratched beyond repair. So I had to buy, like, you know, new toothpaste for this. And I was just spending, you know, 45 minutes just pushing Colgate, you know, total 12 plus just anti-cavity stuff all through the CD. And all it did was make the scratched up CD smell like mint. That was it. But I put it back in the case. I thought, you know what? They're never going to know. Took the CDs back to her and said, here you go. She opened them up and was like, what? Why is there toothpaste everywhere? And I was like, you know what? That's love, isn't it? Sometimes it just doesn't make any sense. And to make sense of that nonsense, I'm joined by my regular co-host, Benji, and our now reoccurring guest, Tom M, drummer extraordinaire. Now, gentlemen, surely you have a band that you just do not like for no particular reason. What is it? No, I've never encountered a band that I've hated with that much fervorance. I would say... The closest I've ever been is when Silent Alarm by Block Party came out and everybody was like, you need to listen to this album. I'll, I'll get around to it. No, listen to it now. I'll, I'll get around to it. Hey, man, like I just thought I'd knock on your dorm room and say, uh, I've got a copy of Silent Alarm. Would you like to listen to it? Like, oh, just fuck off, you know. And for a while, I was just like, I can't be doing with fucking Block Party. If anyone comes up to me and hits me up with Block Party, I'll be an absolute fucking arsehole and just go... Yeah, but they're just ripping off Les Savvy Far. That's all they're doing. They're just ripping off the post-punk movement. So, but nothing to the level of that, Reese. So the whole reason you don't like Green Day's American Idiot, which is what we are going to be talking about today, not Kaplunk, is because you got smited by a girl, and the two and the toothpaste idea didn't work. That's all. That's all I. That's all I heard from that intro is that you know toothpaste does not work to fix. Here's what I think is going to happen today. You are both going to say, Green Day are pretty good. I'm going to say, I don't like them. You're going to present me with a lot of evidence and stories. And I'm like, yeah, I admit all that's correct. But at the end of the day, I've dug my heels in. And this is what is, am I correct, Tom? Is this your, your angle for the whole episode? I think uh, Green Day are, are, I would describe them as a good gateway band. I don't care about Green Day, but I know when I started listening to them, it led me to like bitter stuff. Uh, and I think that's probably how I would describe them. You know, everything that they do was done bitter. By other bands in different ways but they seem to like encapsulate it and wrap it all up into this perfect neat little package called american idiot but you were into this album when it came out i was so fucking into this album when it came out but you were old enough to know better well, i was 17 uh, i'd still say that's too old no no i think 17 is perfect right because it's like this is a somewhat political album but it's also about that whole like suburban alienation tired shit that they target at white kids exactly like me and when you're 17 and you're coming to the end of high school and you bet like maybe my parents don't know everything and then you see this album and you're like oh yeah this guy hates the suburbs too and it like speaks to you on this stupid level because you're 17 and you think you've got shit figured out and you don't and that's why i think american idiot is like the time when it landed because you know I, like i love this album and there are forums of me saying i think this is the greatest album like probably one of the best albums of all time. I love this album so, so much. 
but I know for a fact 12 months after that album dropped I stopped listening to it and I've not listened to it again until the last couple of weeks and then you got back onto Shania Twain from this moment and you listened to that forever well who wouldn't right were you into American Idiot as well well I mean I was 21 at the time so I knew better but the girl uh, yes, I was the girl, <clears throat> the girl I was with at the time didn't, and she was very much into the whole pop punk thing. You know, I, I still meet people to this day that are into that pop punk thing, which I, I don't mind. I can tolerate, but I wouldn't go actively out of my way to listen to. And I'm on about bands like Newfound Glory, Simple Plan, that kind of thing. So she was kind of into. Green Day because Green Day were the big punk band at that point in time. I mean, I was like listening to fucking Coral Fang by the Distillers still. I was listening to like Angry Samoans, that side of punk. But, you know, in in fairness to Tom, Tom was like X number of years younger than me. And I'd already gone through a bit of a a punk phase with Green Day uh, when Dookie first came out. I was of that age where... I was sentient to, to Dookie. I was sentient to... <laughs> sentient to Dookie. There you go. <laughs> Cut that. Cut around that one, you can't. Right. I was, I was sentient to Green Day through Dookie. I was listening to a whole bunch of Rancid. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I didn't mind it, but I, and I really thought that the politics that it brought was a good jumping-off point, like what Tom said, but it got to that point where people were suddenly like Green Day fans that suddenly became ardent opponents of George W. Bush. Because around that time, we've got to contextualize that that was around the rock against Bush, rock the vote, bits and pieces like that. And I really started to resent how people would go, I hate George W. Bush. Like, oh, why is that? Is it because that his family owns most of the oil fields? Is it because... Uh, he doesn't have a foreign policy that he's ended up getting Dick Cheney involved to basically do all of these things and stuff like that. And and the answer was, no, was just basically, nah, man, because fucking Green Day and Fat Mike don't like George W. Bush. Fuck Bush. Rock the vote. What vote was there to rock in the UK? We had no fucking means apart from Tony Blair. But then, you know, that all panned out quite nicely. So was I a fan of the album? To get laid, yes. I've been thinking a bit about that whole political aspect of it. And like, American Idiots, you know, the song, it's good. It's fine. And I get the whole political messaging. And, you know, when this album came out, it was like, what, late 2004? So that that whole Iraq war is 18 months in. It hasn't all gone to shit yet. Um, George Bush is extremely popular still. And, you know, there's that initial reaction. It's quite brave to come out and, you know, release an album like that and a song like that and straight that message. And then you're like, but Green Day were, it wasn't like they were kind of right-wing or centrist guy. Like that, their audience was always going to be receptive to that kind yeah. of thing. And it was wrapped up in this really, you know, good pop pick. If you want to talk like groups who really took a risk um, at that point in time by, you know, letting their politics speak out, then let's talk about the Dixie Chicks. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> their about... audience were not receptive to them saying what they said. It was like... It's kind of like, it's not a risky thing what you're doing here, guys. You're actually... I mean, I'm sure you feel that way, but you're targeting an audience that you know is going to lap that shit up. What was it when she had went over to America? Uh, it would have been around that time as well because they changed their name to Pacifer, if I remember correctly. And uh, 
good old bloody John Toogood would talk about that experience, saying that they played some festivals with what he called WWF bands, just like full on meat. Yeah, probably Biohazard, maybe maybe some big beefy guys like that. And he said that they had a shooting range set up where you could shoot Osama bin Laden, but also shoot fucking everything. I'm not sure if it was Emmanuel Macron, but it was the French prime minister. And he was like, why are you guys shooting? The French gave you like the Statue of Liberty. What the fuck is going on here? You know? And I think you're right, Tom. I think for, for Green Day fans, it, it, it was easy. You know, they were Malibu. They were young as well. Uh, inquisitive, and I think with the Dixie Chicks, it took a lot more. Whew, I mean, it took a, a lot more steez for them to do what they did, and because they, Green Day wouldn't have alienated their audience. Dixie Chicks clearly would have, and they did as well. That was the issue. They had to back down from that fucking horse pretty quick. Well, yeah, I mean, they they never really recovered from it. But no. Green Day, it was sort of like they'd been around for quite a while at this point you know they've been around for 10 12 years they pretty solid band you know they they weren't a huge arena band but they were definitely a big band yeah uh, not, not really a high risk thing to do but i mean that's by the by because you should still say what you think i guess and... well allow me to say what i think please so people talk about this album be like a concept album and i just want to say just because it's a concept album doesn't automatically mean hey it's good everyone the concept is pretty shit so it's like it's vague at the best of times, I've read through a bunch of like fan forums and no one could really articulate what it's about. It's, like about, it's about this guy called like Jimmy St. Bravo or whatever his name is. And he's like going with this girl. And then it's basically my story from the start of the podcast, really. It's like, oh, what's American Idiot? Oh, that's a single at the start. But once that's over, that's when it kicks off, basically. And then it's like, well, we've got these, you know, X amount of songs, but it's only going to be half the track list because. Each track has two songs. Now, do they flow into each other well? No. No. Do they just stop and start pretty much? Yep. Oh, but it's a concept album. It's like, nah, there's way better concept albums. You've got like Pink Floyd, The Wall. It's like, you know, Society and Self-Imposed Exile. you got fucking... you got Fear Factories, Obsolete, Demanufacture, even Digimortal as well. The Antlers, Hospice. you got Frank Sinatra, Watertown, Nine Inch Nails, Year Zero. That's a fucking... Have you read the... Synopsis for Man. Nine Inch Nails Year Zero. Oh, we're going to be doing The Fragile in the next podcast. And uh, even Downward Spiral and The Fragile both have elements of concept albums to it. Do you think people have only gone back, though, and said that it's a concept album because they made a musical out of it? So they've lazily gone, oh, yeah, you know, it's basically like sheet music. So that's, that's you know, it's a concept album because we've made a musical out of it. They pushed it as being a punk rock opera at the time, though. It was that whole yeah. Thing. He's telling a story, and you can just imagine it being on stage. And, and but you're right, like those that second song on the album, it's it's nine minutes, and it's a medley of six 90 second songs. And, and it's almost like I reckon Billy Joe Armstrong like wrote those songs. So it was like, hey, these are all in the same key and pretty much the same tempo. Like every other song I've written up until this point in my life, I can just stitch them together. And like I've done that. I've done like jokey bands with Martin where we put together a medley of six different songs you don't have to be a musical genius to go oh we can just kind of 
stitch changing down here or you know wash things out and bring in the next side it's not a difficult thing to stitch together but everybody seemed to think it was amazing do you think that also the fact that the album was released uh a week after september 11th well three years and a week after september 11th do you think that that was intentionally done by the label the cash in on that very jingoistic fuck america fuck yeah kind of attitude I mean, you'd be dumb. If you're a record label and there was this anti-Bush sentiment and you're building around American Idiot, we kind of saw it with St. Anger where they're like, we could have St. Anger Day. And it's like, what? Okay, cool. And you'd be an idiot if you didn't sort of market <laughs> it that way, you know? What better way to show the fucking establishment that, you know, fuck you guys than giving us your money. Yeah, Come absolutely. on in, everybody. Get a red tie sucked in. That'll show them. Uh, yeah, look, I actually think <laughs> Billy Joe Armstrong on this album is a genius in this. Like, he he comes across really, really well. It's the other dudes that kind of just hold him back. And just as he's onto something really, really good, they just fucking change. Now, whether that's because Trey Cool, my, one of my least favorite drummers of all time. Stop looking surprised, Trey Cool. And I do have a little grab from my upcoming courtroom drama about Trey Cool and his drumming. We'll go into that a bit later. But... That he just can't stop just bashing the drums without any sort of sense of where the song is at in in particular where it's at in the context of this conceptual album. So every time Billy Joe's onto something, it's like, better come in, I'm I'm getting bored. It's like, nah, dude, just let him have his space. That's the best thing. If it's a, a rock opera Broadway smash, let it have some breathing room, all right? And then come in bombastic, you know, Mr. Bombastic style. So yeah, it, like these, there are moments of beautiful melodies and really catchy hooks, and then they just like fuck it up. And they do that really dumb thing where they change tempo, but the tempo's not double time or like half time. It's just a total different timing. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, it's jolting. Like Tom, try and run to this one. It's so hard to run to this album. You're like, I'm in a rhythm. Oh no, I'm changing. Yeah, you cannot run to a beat. You're basically <laughs> interval training on this one. Uh, well, I mean, if you're gonna. Um you know, give shit to the drums. The, the bass isn't great either. Like Mike Gernt's got one bass tone. It's that like slightly overdriven kind of thing. And it's like, I mean, I guess you're right. He kind of fits a bit better. Well, but he's not just like the whole time. His tongue is in out. He's basically just always jumping and doing a scissor kick. That's all he's doing at every given opportunity. I went through their Instagram <laughs> and I went through their personal Instagrams as well. I crept through, you know, I was peering through their bedroom windows at one stage and they're just jumping, you know, legs akimbo, just jumping up there. It's like, all right, guys, we get it. You just reminded me when, when I, sorry, and I'm going on a big tangent here, but when, when we toured China, we had a competition with the Carbon Carb guys between Martin and Jay, and yeah, about who could do the most scissor kicks per show. How sore were their glutes the next day? Because <laughs> <laughs> you've got to keep, you've got to keep things. Yeah, yeah. Would you like to hear my courtroom drama about Trey Cool? Yeah. Absolutely. We're going to anyway, so we may as well. And I'll give you the right reply afterwards because I really prepared to come at you guys, all right? So there's some personal attacks. No, there's not really. That wouldn't surprise me. Please rise. Court is now in session. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, look, I understand that Green Day, to me, is like durian. You know that fruit durian? You know, I could have the entire Malaysian population tell me it's delicious. I'm aware that entire communities have bonded over durian. Look, I've tried it in candy form. I've tried it raw. I've drunk water out of the husk in Kuala Lumpur. I've given it a go. 
And no matter how much people will tell me it's great, it always just stinks out of room. I'm not here to argue whether Green Day are a good band or a bad band. There's no point in that. We know they're a successful band. They're selling out arenas. Everyone knows their songs. American Idiot was a massive single and album. They've had Broadway shows based on the album. That is not what we are here to pass judgment on. I am putting it to you that Trey Cool hits the snare too hard at every opportunity. I know that might be extreme, but I have evidence. Cold, hard, irrefutable evidence. Have a listen to this. Did the snare need to come in that hard? There was acoustic guitars. There was a nice bass sound. Why couldn't he just back off a little bit? What you have then is Billy Joe Armstrong going, well, the chorus is coming. I'm going to get louder. What are you going to do, Trey Cool? You can't do anything because you're already hitting the snare at 100%. Your only option is to go from the hi-hats to the ride cymbal. That's it. There's no flair. There's no dynamics. We're going to have to drown this in distortion because you couldn't tone down your left hand. Are you servicing the song? Are you listening? Now, people of the jury, have a listen to this and tell me if he's not doing the same fucking goddamn thing again. Can you hear it now? Can you feel that it's wrong? It doesn't suit the song. This album is at a weird tempo at the best of times. It's not moshable. It's not slow enough where you can sit back and really bask in the song. It's not bombastic enough. The changes aren't subtle enough. But this is made even worse when you have Trey Cool just hitting the shit out of the snare. That's not it. This is a long album. He does it every single time except for that second last song where he does like a marching beat. Maybe the very last song. That's the only time. Probably by then he was starting to learn. But we're talking about this album as a whole. And that's something we need to remember. We are talking about the album as a whole. And more often than not, if the snare is being hit, it's being hit hard. Sometimes that suits the part of the song they're at. Often it does not. Have a listen to this and tell me if the snare is being hit at an appropriate level. So, people of the jury, you may have two people on this podcast telling you that Green Day are a great band, and they may be. That is not what we're here to argue. And Benji and Tom may tell you this album was amazing and they loved it at the time and they grew out of it. It was a time and place kind of thing. And you have to understand the political situation and the political climate at the time. I am not disagreeing with any of that in this part. I am just saying... This album doesn't flow as well as you might think. And a big part of that is Mr. Trey Cool, the guy 
whose eyes are always wide open because he cannot believe he's playing the drums in a big successful band because he knows deep down in his soul that he is hitting the snare too hard. I rest my case. <laughs> what have you got to say for yourselves, boys? Uh, I The first track, absolutely agree. You're, you're totally right. It was far too much ruined the track. He could have just been toned it down or it worked. Second one, I only kind of agree because the song's right about to go into a heavier part anyway, so he's kind of preempting that, I think. And he hadn't and he hadn't played the drums at all up until that point in the song, so there's a bit of context there. Uh, and the third one, yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I, I I tend to agree, but you're right. He's got one setting when he's playing. Yeah. And oh yeah, God. And you see, you, you see, but he looks like a punishing guy to be around. To be honest, like he he strikes me as sort of guy where you'd be like, "Fuck, mate, just just tone it down. Like just in general, just bring it back a few levels." My idea of hell would be a room with two doors and they said behind one is Lars and behind the other is Trey Cool. You get, you have to pick one. And I'm like, oh, which one is it? And they're like, you have to guess. <laughs> and they're sitting at a dining table and they want to talk to you. I would have no idea what to do. <laughs> I would just be crying. I'd be in the fetal position. That's my squid game right there. Yeah. But you, you don't hate the album. American idiot. You don't hate the album. Are you just trying to repeat it so I? <laughs> I've heard you. I know. I've heard you be way more vitriolic about way more worse albums than this. So why don't you just admit it? Stop being a contrary and say that you don't mind some of the tracks off the album. And the real reason why you've got an issue with Green Day isn't about their songwriting because it's fun. It's harmless. It's like the Ramones, you know. The real reason you don't like Green Day Reese is because you don't like the drummer and yes. you're taking your you're taking your your personal anger and resentment towards one person and, and just like, oh, I bet the other guys in the band are assholes as well. I don't think I've hidden that from the start. I, I said, I, I realise that I'm wrong. I realise you're going to present me with this. Hey, it's actually pretty good. And yeah, it's catchy. It just, look, when you guys said you were young, when you heard it, I heard uh, Nimrod when I was young. At no point. Did I say I was young? I was 21, man. I was a grown-ass man. I knew way better. Especially when you had bands like... I grew up with Rage Against the Machine as, like, my earliest inclination towards politics and how messed up a political system can be. And there are some people that would say that Rage Against the Machine are not the best band in the world. And they'd say, you should. they're only doing what the Dead Kennedys did beforehand, you know? So... I would say that if people used American Idiot as a launching point to get into other bands, say, like, fuck, I don't know, who was overtly political at the time, there was good intentions with that album, but good intentions don't make a good album, do they? But that's what I mean about, like, as a gateway band, right? Because I listen to that now, and I think about, like, okay, I think this kind of set me off on a journey, kind of, to just, to think about bands like who had that sound and originated it like descendants and stiff little fingers and even dick kennedy's with the political stuff right yeah. i think green day represent almost like there's like a venn diagram of like that 80s california sound and what happened after american idiot and american idiots right at the nexus of that that jumping off point between the original stuff that green day were a part of because they, they released their first album in what 91 92 you know they've been around for a long time and everything after and, and you can you can do that with their albums as well there's definitely pre-american idiot and post-american idiot pre-american idiot it's fine all very samey don't love it 
post-American idiot, it is objectively and subjectively oh, horseshit. It's God, terrible. It is fucking bad, man. It is so fucking bad. That, I mean, American Idiot was their last great album, as far as I'm concerned. And even then, in terms of like a great album, it's it's debatable, which is what we're doing. But you know, they don't care, man, because they did an interview in 2017, Rolling Stone, and they said when it all comes down to it, we're a rock band. I don't really give a fuck about the mainstream. The mainstream doesn't offer me anything apart from Hot Topic, uh, music festivals that are very mainstream. W- what the fuck was he saying that they're not a mainstream band? They were mainstream like when they released Warning. They were fucking mainstream when Dookie came out, in all fairness. It was them and Vitamin C that were at every graduation since the they released those songs. You could not have, you know, a grade six or any sort of high school function without vitamin C friends forever or time of your life. Fucking time of your life. Yeah. It just seemed every montage from Dawson's Creek all the way to like, I don't know, the black caps not having a very good uh, inning. They always use time of your life or they use a way in, in football or soccer for our American audiences. Um, they kept using Stop Crying Your Heart Out by Oasis whenever England lost. Apart from last time round when England lost the final, instead they went straight ahead with the racist comments towards teenage football players. I wasn't a fan of that. No, and nor should you be. But speaking no, of, absolutely not. Green Day, when Wake Me Up When September Ends is huge in Australia because our AFL finals is in September. So it's like, oh, that day in September, the last day in September, or whatever it might be. So it's like, Wake Me Up When It Ends. That's like what they'll uh, say to my team who never makes the finals. You know, it's like, ah. Uh, so you, you'll hear that every year in perpetuity now. Like, that's what it is. But they, they say, like, oh, we're not mainstream. Aren't they like a, an incredibly popular band? I mean, they did iHeartRadio. I mean, that clip's bit gone viral when they were sharing the stage with, uh, what's his name now? Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber was headlining a festival that Green Day were playing on. I mean, that's the whole clip that went viral when Billy Joe Armstrong swung his guitar up and smashed everything and got pissed off and then decided to check into rehab. I'm amazed that he managed to smash that guitar because his head seems bigger than his body. So I thought the whole (laughs) momentum might have just thrown him over. Yeah, look, according to Spotify, Green Day are the 165th most popular band in the world and they've had well over 2 billion plays, as far I can count. Half of them were you, weren't they, Tom? Just this week? Uh, At least half. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just got on. Who's Never number one? Who cares? Stabbing Westwood, isn't it? <laughs> it has to be Stabbing Westwood. Sorry. Did you know that one of the most requested questions on Google is, is American Idiot the best album ever? Like, because <laughs> Google's going to be the definitive answer of that. But apparently, it's a, it ranked 153 in the Greatest Albums chart, which I, I don't like Greatest Albums of all time. I think there should be like a 10-year gap between when an album comes out and when it can debut in the Greatest of all time. Yeah, but I think as well, getting back to this whole I'm not part of the mainstream thing, like Billy Joe Armstrong's going to get it both barrels here, but let's be honest, like there's so many big bands who do and say stuff like this where they kind of rag on pop music or hip-hop and like oh well i actually write my songs and i actually play my instruments and it's like great 
that doesn't make those alternatives <laughs> any less important or valuable or anything like that. Like, oh, and the whole, like I'm not part of the mainstream. You, you go around the world playing arena shows. Like it doesn't actually get much bigger than what you are. Like, like it's this need to be out of the mainstream because it somehow feels like it like legitimizes them. And it's kind of sad. It's like, just embrace it, bro. Like every album you've done since 2004 has been a mainstream rock album. And like, what would have happened if they got like Seth Putnam? To, to write Green Day songs, be a different bloody band then, might be a bit better. And the bigger your band gets, obviously you, you become your own industry and you you pick your support bands, you you have your crew that you travel around with. So you're in this little bubble. So you're like, we're alternative, we're doing things our way. It's like, no, nah, you're doing things at industry standard, at award rates. You you know, you're you're meeting OHS codes because you're you're employing these people now. You're following set load-in times and decibel limits and time limits because the arena you're playing is in the CBD and all this stuff. You're not as punk as you think you are just because you jump and do the scissor kicks and poke your tongue out. This album, yeah, it's 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 the kind of punk that I don't like. And like when I heard this when I was young or Nimrod or whatever, same as Blink-182, I was like, it's not for me. It is uh, straight away. It's a rare moment in my life where I was pretty decisive. Like this isn't for me. It doesn't feel right in my chest you know that there's no four to the floor things like da, 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 or whatever it's just annoying i didn't have great taste you know i was like huh green day that sucks have you guys heard stained the lyrical genius aaron lewis sit down everyone have you seen who was the producer for american idiot oh god amir tell me it's amir no, it's not Amir, I'm afraid, man. It's a guy by the name of Rob Cavallo who has worked with the following bands. Linkin Park. Whoop, whoop. My Chemical Romance. I'm a boys. Eric Clapton. Beth Hart. The Goo Goo Dolls. The Dave Matthews Band. Kid Rock. Jawbreaker. Alanis Morissette. Black Sabbath. Phil Collins. Paramore. Sixpence None the Richard. Oh, nice. Little Peep. Shine Down. And Meatloaf. So, I don't know where... It's not like... Billy Joe and the team ended <laughs> yeah, yeah. up getting like a really kind of like, oh, we're, we're going to work with Steve Albini. And Steve Albini's pretty mainstream. The guy recorded a Bush album, for God's sakes, you know, but it's not like they've got George Bush or George Bush Sr. Uh, senior. But it's not like they ended up going for a real esoteric uh, producer. They went with someone who's a multiple Grammy Award winner. So in their head, they must have thought that, okay, this is our big push. This could be our award-winning album. We we need to go with this guy, which doesn't sound like the mindset of someone who doesn't care what the quote-unquote mainstream feel about their band and their album. Yeah, and I don't care about the mainstream, and I'll prove it. Everything I do is so niche. I've actually made a cover of Green Day's American Idiot. Sort of, I've oh, yeah. tweaked it on guitar and stuff. It's the same, but I thought... I can't write political lyrics at the moment, you know, just because the world seems really well balanced and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm jiving really well with everyone. So I thought, who's sort of unreasonably angry? And so Gordon Ramsay, his features on my track, so have a listen. I'm just disgusted that you're standing there smoking. How the fuck do we even hold it? 
Get ready for the Nintendo 64, kid. Honestly, if I release that, tell me people wouldn't be like, that's fucking punk. That rules. Oh, guys, I'm not mainstream. That wasn't really you, though, was it? Uh, it was, that was, you, you actually put on the exploited, really, didn't you? Uh, I, that was that fucking oi punk that we've been hearing all about, isn't it? I looked up Green Day on Fiverr and I said, write me a song like American Idiot, and you did. And then I added Gordon Ramsay. But yeah, you have to pay for the Patreon to hear the true making of that song. It uh, took me about three minutes, all, all said. Speaking about paying, man, who the fuck have you paid for sponsorship this time? Around? I've washed my hands of it. You fucking have rinsed me the last few weeks. Oh, you can't be spending 35 grand. You, you know, you don't run a label, blah, blah, blah. I'll fucking pass it over to Tom. Tom, what have you got for us? Yeah, I, I've been a little bit concerned as well, Benjo. It doesn't yeah, seem Yeah, no, amazing. I appreciate that. Fiscally, you are far more responsible. I mean, I, you know, I've paid bills before. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah, exactly, I've done man. sponsorship deals. Um, yeah, man. Look, guys, your old mate T-Bone Tom, he's uh, he's been doing a bit of hunting around trying to find that something that would be a good fit for us. And um, I actually got in touch with this guy called Kyle um, at the Institute of uh, New Metallurgical Soundscape Developments. Uh, really friendly guy, Kiwi guy, just like me. So you know you're onto a good one when you find something like that. And uh, anyway, I've done a little deal with him. Uh, and I'll be honest, like, it's not, it's not an amazing deal, but let's be clear here that things are going in the right direction. You know, we're not paying out money to get this. No, it's, it's appreciated. It's appreciated, man. Yeah. So look, I'll just give you a quick run through. Um, so we're going to get uh, three times six packs of Cody's 12 percenters for each of us. Oh, um, yeah. So, so that's right. exciting. Uh, you know, they, they'll yeah. get me I mean, I, I can only handle one of those at night. So that's, that's a good month's worth of drinking sorted. Um, he's going to give us vouchers for um, nipple or eyebrow piercings, but um, unfortunately that's only at primal piercings uh, in Auckland. So we'll have to make a trip back to New Zealand at some point for. Hey man, it's still ch- still cheaper than what Reese would piss away on a sponsorship tickets to New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, and look, he's also we've got a bunch of merch. So um, he's given us some uh, branded uh, t-shirts, trucker caps, cargo pants, and of course wallet chains. Uh, wallet oh, chain. Gotta have um, the wallet chain for. Oh. Yeah. So, and then look, last but not least, so obviously we'll do, we'll play the ad in a second, but I just want to say he's, he's also offered us 1% of all revenue um, once his costs are recouped. Um, I don't know how much that could end up being, but I'll be, I'll be frank. I'm pretty excited about this one. Um, well, we're, we're, making, so. we're making money. What's Hopefully. your excuse, Reese? Yeah, we wouldn't be in this position if I wasn't coughing out 35 grand a week. It's simple All science right, well, and maths. In a weird way, the math makes sense there. In a weird way, it does. It's a concept podcast, guys. It's a, it's a concept sponsorship. <laughs> it doesn't have to make sense. You just say concept and it works. It's a not-for-profit podcast because we're not making a profit. Hey, folks. Kyle from the Institute of New Metallurgical Soundscape Developments here. Are you one of those people who, despite the pending climate apocalypse and general feelings that people equal shit, have still gone ahead and had kids anyway? I know I am. Are you one of those parents who finds the hardest part of the day always comes at the end when you're trying to get them off to sleep? 
you ever find yourself at the point where you just want to push your fingers into your eyes and break stuff? Are you at the point where you've reached your last resort and finding yourself one step closer to the edge and about to break? Do your kids leave you so emotionally battered after a day of screaming in your face and projectile vomiting everywhere that you find yourself asking, what's this life for? Most importantly of all, do you absolutely love new metal? If so, then keep listening because I'm about to let you in on a secret that could change everything. Here, at the Institute of New Metallurgical Soundscape Developments, we've built ourselves an incredible compilation of all your favourite new metal classics and is something guaranteed to put your kids to sleep, probably, while allowing you to bop along to all those hits you know and love. We've been working on this one for well over a decade and I'm incredibly excited to let the listeners of Baccio Death Trip Podcast get the first opportunity to own a three-CD set we've put together called Soothing Sounds for New Metal Babies. Packed with all the classics you can remember, and some you probably don't from the years 1995 to 2005, Soothing Sounds for New Metal Babies will take you right back to your bloody roots, along with giving you the pep you need to keep things rolling, 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 while your crotch goblins glide peacefully to sleep. First off, let's reminisce about the one part of New Metal that we all love the most, those highly questionable lyrics. You might feel a bit weird about playing the authentic version of Head P.E.'s Come Bitch Come, Limp Biscuit's Break oh Stuff, and of course Static X's Love Dump in front of your kids. But it becomes way less awkward when there's no singing at all, and instead you can just focus on enjoying the incredible instrumentation that comes with these songs. All of the songs I just named are on soothing sounds for new metal babies, but the one that I'm going to give you a little taster of is my favourite song from my favourite band, Corn's Adidas. But it's not all fun games and questionable lyrics. We all know that there was a dark side to the genre that gave it depth and layers which set it apart from all others before and since. We haven't shied away from this when putting together soothing sounds for new metal babies. Along with System of a Down's Prison Song, Mudvayne's Dig and of course Stain's Mud Shovel, we've explored some pretty dark stuff. The darkest of all though has to be Cradle of Filths from the Cradle to Enslave. Here's a wee taste. Now at this point you might be thinking, that's a lot of problematic and misogynistic stuff so far. Haven't you heard about the Me Too movement? The answer to that is, yes we have. And that's why we've chucked in a couple of token gestures in the form of Kitty and Evanescence tracks, as well as No Doubt's proto-new metal banger, Just A Girl. Last but not least, we can't ignore the fact that there was a crazy amount of truly uplifting and inspiring stuff floating around through the era covered in soothing sounds for new metal babies. The band undoubtedly at the forefront of this was the almighty Creed, and there's no way we could put this album out while leaving off their timeless anthem, Higher.
So what are you waiting for? Order your copy of Soothing Sounds for New Beetle Babies now and get that wake-me-up-inside intensity you need in your life, coupled with the relaxing knowledge that your progeny are being eased to sleep hearing some of the finest music ever created. And... Just to sweeten the deal, if you put through your order within the next two hours, we will also throw in a special additional CD for all you Fago-loving parents out there. That's right, folks. Juggalo Classics on Peruvian Panpipes is all yours, so don't delay because stock is extremely limited. That was so good. I've just wired them $35,000. That was crazy. Yeah, that, like, you know, off the record for a minute, that was absolutely fucking stunning. Why would you not go off the record? <laughs> put that on the record. <laughs> Okay, on the rat. That was stunning. Absolutely stunning. I feel at ease. I don't know if I've got any vitriol left to talk about American Idiot because of that. It was definitely that acoustic version of the CBC by Head Planet Earth that, you know, really set off my nerves, you know. Got me into the ease of it. Really, really got me through the day. Well, if you're not feeling sort of vitriolic about Green Day and American Idiot, what about idiots in general? Because I, yeah, I have a well, game for you. in general. Because I have a game for both of you. Now, it's a turn-based game. So, Tom, you'll go first. And what you're going to do is I've gone through three famous musicians' Instagram pages. And I have got idiotic fucking comments. Ooh. Now, we're not going to say the username. And you have to match the picture to their comment. Now, we've got <laughs> Jonathan Davis from Corn, And he's... At his microphone stand, we've got Amy Lee from Evanescence and we've got David Germain from Disturbed. Now, would you like to read the three comments, Tom, and then try and guess which one matches the picture? You and your crew are so weak. I don't like a weak people. Do you like a real red colour? If not, we have a huge problem. And then like an angry Idiot. emoji. Yeah. Comment two. Remember me? I'm the type one diabetic you met in the UK back in 2015. You signed my insulin pump and signed my arm, which I got tattooed the next day. I hope you are well. I realized ages ago that you made a new Instagram account. I'd really love it if you could follow me again, smiley face. Hope you and the family are well and hopefully see you soon. That's kind of idiot. <laughs> uh, and then the last one, uh, nice and simple. Looks like you are going to show someone fuck. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I'm going to say, uh, look like you are going to show someone fuck, uh, belongs to uh, Amy from Evanescence. Okay. Uh, comment two, uh, yeah, I'm the type one diabetic. I, I feel like that probably belongs to, is it David Draymond? Is it, is it, yeah, it is David Draymond. That, that guy with the cool piercings out of his mouth, that one. Uh, and then you and your crew are so weak, I don't like weak people. Jonathan Davis. Now, like I'll be honest, oh, I'm kind of. I feel like you could make a lot of criticisms at Jonathan Davis and the Corn Crew, but being weak is probably not one of them. However, that guy's obviously a fuckwit, and I feel like he's calling someone out. So that's why I'm going to go with that option. So tell me, I'm wrong on all three. Let's have a look down here. The correct answers were. Remember me. I'm the type one diabetic. Was Jonathan Davis? <laughs> you and your crew are so weak. Was Amy Lee? And David Germain was looking like he was going to show someone fuck. So or Draymond, sorry. So they didn't need moving whatsoever. <laughs> oh, you dastardly piece of work, Reese. You dastardly piece of work. Well, Benji, over to you. Oh, great. So, Benji, yep. we have Tracool being a dickhead. Oh, sorry, it's just a normal photo of him, yep. uh, allegedly. We've got Lars holding a Monopoly board game. 
and a Metallica one, of course. And Raina from Cold Chamber. Can you read the comments for us, please? Okay, so underneath Trey Cool, we have, you need to write a book about how to succeed when you have a singular goal and complete drive and dedication. Underneath Lars is, so bummed I haven't gotten a chance to photograph you yet. And then finally, uh, underneath Raina, it is, I see you in four days. I'm anxious due to the pandemic. So if you see a fat guy with white hair and six masks on, that's me. Not me, but the commenter. It was it's them. Right. I reckon I reckon that the middle one underneath Lars belongs underneath Rainer. So I haven't got a chance to photograph you yet. Is under Rainer? Yep. Yeah. I think that I think that I see you in four days. I've I've reckoned that's I think Metallica are on tour at the minute, but I don't know when you source these. So I'm going to say, see you in four days underneath your best mate, Trey Cool, and you need to write a book, How to Succeed When You Have a Singular Goal Underneath Lars. From memory, I think you've got 100% here. Let's have a look. Yes, you did. Well done. Oh, that's incredible, man. Great. Really, really good. Yeah, Trey Cool posts photos like this. All the time. Look at that. That face. Constantly. Fucking constantly. It's it's wild to me. Yeah, like, why is that? Why? Why would you do that? It's, yeah, it detracts my enjoyment of this album, but also the band detracts my enjoyment of the album. I think they're almost holding Billy Joe back in that if they just let him, you know, play and have musicians that would take his instructions, it'd be better. But I feel like... Because they came up together, he probably owes them. He's like, nah, your your voice is important too. It's like, you sure, guys? Like, that guy's voice? Like, he's voluntarily posting those photos? Is that the guy you want to have a say on your masterpiece? It's like, yep, fair enough. And look, that's admirable, but it gets in the way of, of what could be a, a good album. There are some great hooks on this album, some great moments that are ruined because they don't stay in them for long enough. It is a good album. I'm sorry, like, like, okay, the last podcast I guested on Santanga, I, I, I could not listen to the album end to end. It was such hard work. This, I can listen to it happily and enjoy it. It doesn't mean I love it and want to write on internet forums about how amazing it is, but it's, it's a perfectly fine album. It just, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. It's, it's inoffensive and sometimes being, having an inoffensive album it can be the death now because it's like i don't know how i feel about this whether i like it or not so you kind of avoid it like if you if you're into an album that's ridiculously shit you will still play it because you will play it to your friends and go this is fucking awful i mean uh catatonic youths made an entire instagram feed out of it but yeah, I, I, it has got some catchy moments. I mean, I I still like Boulevard of Broken Dreams, but in that in that whole we're kind of drunk setting. Like if you're in a nightclub and they'll end up playing in the end and Boulevard of Broken Dreams, it's that kind of well, I'm completely cut. I'm just gonna put my arm over my mate and then sway and start singing, but they completely jumped the shark after this album that's saying something because i wasn't a massive fan of warning but at least with warning they experimented 
doing like power pop and bits and pieces like that. Uh, with this, they just kind of pushed the more poppier elements and then, yeah, they just became a rock band. Uh, that's the one comment from that Rolling Stone interview that I will agree with is that they 100% became a rock band, you know. They moved away from Stiff Little Fingers, Operation Ivy, Rancid, all of that, and instead were happy to be like how Incubus moved away from new metal into becoming an alternative rock band, like how Metallica have effectively moved away to become uh, a metal, uh, a hard rock band, like Deftones moved away from doing rap core to become an alternative metal act. Yeah, I think that it was the last time that Green Day released an album that was more aligned with punk than, than the rest of their stuff. It's just a shame that from it there was a slightly politically, if it engaged people into doing stuff, that's absolutely fantastic. But musically, it had one or two good songs, but there is way better out there. Way better out there. Even in Green Day's discography, way better out there. So I know we're wrapping up, but Tom, you, you're more familiar with this album and you are a political correspondent now. So when they say, oh, American Idiot is a political song, what the, what's he really saying? Like, what, what is he saying? It's like, oh, that was a real punch in the guts. Can't believe he went there. It's like, you guys are dumb. You watch TV, yo. Things aren't okay. But, yeah, so I think a lot about how, especially now down the track, I can absolutely hear this song or imagine this song being played at Trump rallies, right? And all this, but yeah, because it's all like, yeah, the media and yeah, like stupid Americans, right? Like one of those ones where in hindsight, the people have completely missed the point of the song, which was about that, like, you know, you're all super fervent for war and, you and you know, and he's really calling that out. But as I said earlier, he's, he's calling it out to an audience that would have already been on board with the message. But what, what is he, like, I need to look at the lyrics a bit more closely, I think. Like, I don't know what he's saying. I, I, I think as well, I think, I think you've got to put yourself in that context of 2004. The country is at war. They were attacked three years earlier. Um, you know, Americans, and I'm generalizing massively here, but have that inclination towards a bit of paranoia and that, you know, industrial military complex. And I think it was at a peak at that point in time. And I think he's calling out that uh, that whole culture of, you must love the flag. You must love everything about what we do unquestioningly. And, you know, I, and I think it's lyrically, you know, I think it's quite a good sign, calls it out quite effectively. But on a whole, the album is not a political album. It's a I'm a frustrated suburban teenager album. Yeah. With a political song it's, at the start of it. It's a more, of a more of an album about alienation. And I think it got picked up because of the overt politics, because the album itself was called American Idiot. But in all fairness, there was only two songs that had explicitly political content on it. One of them was American Idiot and the other one was Holiday. But the rest of it seems like, what is the concept? A guy going to war or what? No, it's just some some boy who escapes and finds love and then she breaks up with them and he yeah, ends Saint up dead. Jimmy. Yeah, St. Jimmy, yeah. yeah. But uh, look, we don't have time to get into this, but there's a whole backstory of Bill Your Armstrong with some girl he fell in love with when he was really young and it, 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 she appears constantly in his lyrics um, as like a motif that he sort of plays off. And so she's the other character, but I'm not so, getting into that because it's fucking boring. So a stalker then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Bacio Death Trip listeners, if you're a musician, here's how you do it. You write 10 songs, right? Write them about whatever. Throw in the same three names anywhere in those songs. 
It's like, whoa, what a journey these characters are on. It's like, yep, that's right. I just picked out three names. You got Jimmy, you know, um, Ginza and Bulby. There we go. And you just constantly reference them. Like, wow, they're really building this character. It's like, not really. This is a song about me scratching up a CD in year seven. Sucked in everyone. Sorry, just if you're going to do that, make those three characters uh, Big Riggs, T-Bone Tom and uh, Benjo, please. Good, yeah. I'm I'm very happy to have to never have to listen to this album again. Um, I wasn't into it, and you've convinced me that it is a steaming pile of shit. I went in with an open mind. <laughs> I was like, you know, I'll hear him out. Mate, I, I've come in saying it's pretty good, but you guys have convinced me it actually does suck. So legitimately, this is this is true. And Benji, you've toured my band, and you've helped us get press and stuff. We don't do press photos. We never did. Real, we never showed our face, and it is because at a very young age I realized. There are three sort of band photos. The serious one where you're standing at like a construction site or, or, the, or a wall. Then the silly one where you're like, oh. And the third one seems to be where someone's on the toilet reading a newspaper and someone's next to them standing in the bathtub going like, oh, it's a stinky boy. You know, and they're the three. And I'm like, well, I can't be any of those. How about I just try and be like Wilson from Home Improvement and hide my face? And it is at a very young age I realized it was because of Trey Cool. That is, I'm not, I'm not, um, overselling that it is true because i'm like i would be trey cool because my, my eyes are big i'm like oh my god you know yeah and i've got blue hair you're right yeah so american idiot great launching point for two of us one of us still has issues with a drummer uh you can have a guess who that person is quite easily it's reese uh, on next week's podcast, we will be talking about Nine Inch Nails to Fragile. You're looking forward to this one, aren't you, Reese? Yeah, it's because it, it's got a great drummer, and yep, and you know that's a concept album that has a flow. And Trent Reznor is a such a meticulous man that it, if I would love to see a band with Trey Cool and Trent Reznor in the same band, Trent Reznor would have him kicked out with him in three minutes. Like, hey, can you play this beat? Like, doom, da, doom, da. All right, you're out. Fucking, man, you got triggers on the snare anyway. You don't have to hit it that hard. Get out of here. I'll, I would pay good money to see that. Which is, would it, would he not be like, would he not be like, oh. My face Trent would look Reznor. like Trey Cool if Trent Reznor offered Trey Cool a position in Nine Inch Nails. I'd be like, oh, my God. Oh, oh, oh. But yeah, we'll be talking about the fragile next week. So uh, thanks once again to Tom. Thank you so much. I've, I've really enjoyed it, and I'm glad that I could make sure you didn't lose 35k through your sponsorship. No, it's appreciated. Uh, Reese, say goodbye, Reese. See you later, everyone. And Tom, what is your favorite Jamie Kennedy movie? Um, the Mask Two. <laughs> That's only. Is that, is, that, is, that his, is that one of his? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, some Son of the Mask. Son of the Mask. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I don't know, man. This is your guys' Sorry. whole thing. I these references, I tune out. Not not made in Malibu. Uh, Malibu's no. most wanted. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not really totally familiar with his. Get whole the fuck sort of, out. You know. And we we finish on a tray cool shock face with that one. Say that again. You're uh, not, not really I'm, a fan of this. No, no. I'm not saying I'm not a fan. I'm saying I'm not familiar with his work. It's quite different. I'm sure I could be a fan. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I had no time to to you know familiarize myself. Don't worry about it. <laughs> if you listen to enough of this podcast, you will be familiar with it. All right, cool.